With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome to the show. And the Arsenal bus just keeps rolling on. Another weekend, still five points clear. Yes, everything is still absolutely fine. As always, my name is Rory. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. And I'm joined by my very good friend, Adam. Hey, Rory. It's been an eventful weekend again. More importantly, Wicked Wanderers are out of the playoff mix for another season. So unfortunately, it's not going to happen for me this season. Or my little boy to watch. But nonetheless, mate, how are you feeling? Yeah, pretty, I was going to say pretty good. Um, very quickly, I just before Mike, I was saying, I'm very glad the game was Friday because it's given me three full <laughs> days to recover from whatever the hell that was. And now I feel a little bit calmer. If it had been like yesterday, I feel like today would have a very different tone. Whereas mm. Friday, I just had a few extra beers on the sofa and then kind of forgot about it and I was fine. <laughs> so I'm fine in short. Um, but today on the show, um, we've got lots to cover, lots and lots to cover. We we've got FA Cup semi-finals and Manchester Derby in the final of the FA Cup. It doesn't quite mm. feel as big as the Milan Champions League <laughs> semi-final derby, but we'll talk about how excited yeah. or unexcited we are about that, how the teams got there and how lucky or unlucky Uh, Brighton and Manchester United were. We've got lots to talk about in the Premier League. Of course, we're going to find time to laugh at Spurs. This time it's a bumper edition, guys. They have had a hell of a week. Um, (laughs) And we're, of course, going to talk about Arsenal and just how much they seem to be bottling it and what was a haunting Friday night. In uh, Adam, in Serie A, what are we going to be covering over in Italy? We'll be talking about a certain relegation fight and it seems to be between Hellas Verona and Spezia as they played out some interesting results over the weekend. We'll also reminisce about Inter getting back into league form for once. Not cup form, but league form for once. Uh, I want to also talk up Palladino and the work that he's doing at Monza, but we'll also end off in Turin for that big game that happened last night, Rory. And boy, was it an atmosphere in Naples after that result? That's for sure. All I could see was Osimhen and Kafara on a bus embracing <laughs> all of Napoli, essentially, and their fans. But uh, Rory, it was a pleasure to watch that match. 
for the last five minutes at a new yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was a bit of a drag, the rest of it. But you just knew it was on the edge of exploding, and it <laughs> did explode. But, guys, that is what we've got coming up in the show. We're going to talk Premier League first, and we're going to do it right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And here we are. It's time for the Premier League slash FA Cup. I think, should we start FA Cup or Premier League? Uh, let's start with FA Cup. That's nice. FA short and sweet. Cup. We've got a Manchester Derby FA Cup final, people. Only one thing stands, two things stand between Man City winning the treble. <laughs> a struggling Arsenal team and a slightly lucky Manchester United team. This is going to be an interesting one. If we start with Manchester City and how they made it to the final. Now, we were talking about it on Thursday's Friday show. Yep. Uh, we were talking about it. I predicted it to be a little bit closer than it was. Mm. Um, you kind of said that City would be comfortable and they'd breeze their way through it. Congratulations, you seem to be right. But <laughs> yeah. I think Sheffield United didn't really put out a full-strength team. I feel like they kind of rested a few players. Their eyes were definitely more on securing that promotion, automatic promotion spot in um, in the Championship, getting back into the Premier League. But they did start the game well. What did you make of Sheffield United before we get on to Man City? I think it was always going to be a tough ask, to be fair. Um, I think the quality golf was just evident on the mm. day itself. Um, but that said, I mean, maybe a performance we kind of expected, especially given the quality that Man City have. And um, this, despite the fact that they pretty much rested about five or six key kind of first teamers. This is lights of Ruben Diaz and, for example, Kevin De Bruyne. Um, but pretty much the way I anticipated, as we predicted on that Thursday, Friday show. And um, yeah, I was a bit disappointed, to be honest. I think I was expecting a bit more from Sheffield United, given the performances that they had kind of demonstrated on the way to that semi-final Um it's a shame that a lot of attention was made up about the attendance on the day. Um, but nonetheless, great achievement for them. Fair play, um, but an easy passage for Man City. What, what about yourself? How did you kind of call this game? And how do you... I think the one kind of thing that stood out for me was that second goal by Mares, where the defender doesn't know where to go with him. <laughs> and Mahrez yeah. breezes past him and then tucks it away. But that kind of summarises their performance, I feel. Yeah, it did. It was a massive, massive golfing quality, wasn't it? And I think like what we're seeing with Man City is that they do have two full 11s. And like Mares is a player that kind of has never really cemented his team in this, like never really cemented his place in the starting lineup. As not many teams, as not many players at Man City do, like there's only De Bruyne and like, I don't know, De Bruyne who are like ever stays, if you know what I mean. But like, so he's never really nailed down a place, but then every time he plays, you're like, this guy's world-class. Like he always just mm. gets goals, scores hat tricks, puts penalties away, whatever it is. He just, every time he comes in, he does an incredible job. And you remember just how deep City's squad is. Um, yeah. So I think straight from the off, you could see that it was a bit of a golfing quality. I think for Sheffield United, it was disappointing that the attendance wasn't sold out. But I think for 
if you're a Sheffield United fan, you've got to come down from Sheffield. Tickets are probably extortionate. You've got to pay to get to London. Cost of living crisis and all that. And you know deep down that you're probably going to lose. I think it's a difficult one to kind yeah. of swallow. I think it's nice to have a day out in Wembley. I have a friend, uh, Pete, friend of the show, who was at the stadium. He had an incredible day. Like, obviously, anytime he gets to go to Wembley, is amazing. But I do feel like at times there could be a little bit more joined up thinking and if you've got mm. two northern teams put it in a northern stadium put yeah. it at villa park put it at old trafford whatever it is and just make it a bit easier for people to get there because mm. it is expensive and i think like now for the final we're gonna have two northern teams going down to london okay. for a for a final i know like look they've got to pay off wembley somehow like they've got to try and pay off how much it costs but i feel like if you want the atmosphere at the stadiums and you want the, the the trophy and the competition to be treated how it should be, you need to be a little bit more flexible with it. And I've never liked the semifinals at the Wembley, at Wembley yeah, idea. I've never liked it. Mm. I always think it's what you earn when you get there, if you know what I mean. But I think, and you're talking about on the pitch, yeah, just unfortunately no surprises for Sheffield United and Man City mm. work their way through. That's all that can be said, really. Yeah. It's just efficient from Man City, isn't it? It's mm. what they are. It's not particularly exciting unless you're a City fan, but they get the job done. Um, on the other side of the bracket, mm. as the Americans would say, um, we do we had a bit more of an intriguing one. Um, Manchester yeah. United nil, Brighton nil. Manchester United win 4-3 on penalties, I think five, it was. 5-4 on penalties. 6-5. Yeah. yeah, 6-5. Oh, 6-5. It went to sudden death. 6-5 on penalties. Um. I thought this game was really enjoyable for a nil-nil. I thought yes, I really like could not take my eyes off it. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. I thought the, the biggest takeaway here was that the transformation in Brighton from, I remember when they were in the bottom division playing crew, they were at the Withdean Stadium. They were being kept up by a independent uh, record label, like Skint Labels. Yeah, right? It was the only label. thing keeping them in yeah. business. Like I remember that club was on the edge of going out of existence. And now, in a mere 20 years, whatever it is, they are going into an FA Cup semi-final against Manchester United as the favourite. Mm. And they played, they dominated the ball. Yeah. I think marginally, they had the better chances. Yeah, I think they played better on the day. I think... It, as is always the case with Brighton, if they had a bloody striker, they could have won that game. I find it mad that they can pluck eight wingers from the Paraguayan <laughs> third division that are all absolutely world-class, but they yeah. can't find one striker. I it's know. like, I think that's the one thing in Brighton scouting where you're like, okay, you need someone who finds strikers. Because Dennis Undav, I don't know how good he's ever going to be. That first touch mm. was unlucky and it was, you know, towards the end of the game, but he did come on. He couldn't have been tired. It was just that lack of quality at the end. But I think Brighton were outstanding. Manchester United equally did what they needed to do. They knew yeah. they weren't going to dominate the ball. They defended well, I think. De Gea made some good saves. Mm -hmm. Wan-Bissaka against Matoma. That's the quietest and the best job I've seen done against Matoma, I think. The, like I think Wan-Bissaka genuinely had an outstanding game. And I think United, uh, Man United in the end, experience just told? Or was it just the fact that Solly March spooned that over the bar? What do you think? Uh, I think it's probably he's not used to those kind of scenarios, as you can imagine most players aren't, you know, going into a like semi-final FA Cup penalty-taking round. Um, but I feel like Brighton 
like you say, if they were just a quality striker away from possibly reaching the final, um, I thought actually Matoma had a very good game. I just felt like um, it was always going to be tough against Juan Basaka, who's got the pace. Um, but to be fair, I felt like he kind of contributed a lot of the attacking play, forced a lot of the issues, especially when he came on the inside. That's mm-hmm. where the trouble started to become yeah, a yeah. bit more evident and they were a bit wary of him cutting in. And I think that was very evident from the off. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel it was just a combination of just that through ball as well at times. Mm-hmm. I feel like Brighton, if they were a bit more kind of, I suppose, just a bit more wiser with the possession, I think is fair mm-hmm. to say, because especially I think towards the last 20 minutes of normal time, you could tell a bit leggy. They were starting yes. to feel a bit more yeah, legs yeah. and that's where the experience of United's players were coming into it. That said, I think there were some really poor games from Man United players like Anthony. I thought it was very disappointing on the day. I mean, <laughs> I, I, he was very lucky, I think, in that first instance where the McAllister free kick happens within the first 10 minutes, yeah, if you yeah, recall. Yeah. I'm surprised if that wasn't in the box, that would have been a penalty. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the differences we're talking about. And I wonder if they're starting to rethink about how they play Anthony or whether that's just a kind of sign of maturity that he needs to develop. Because, yeah, certainly he's it's, getting very hot and cold, isn't he, at the moment? It's an interesting one because he's worked with Ten Hag before. Obviously, mm-hmm. Ten Hag had him at Ajax. So you'd yeah. think if Ten Hag is developing players and he's like coaching players to be like, you know, well, developing them, that yeah. he'd have got a bit more out of Anthony already because I think he's the most predictable and least imaginative player. I think there was mm. a moment when he cut inside and you'll be shocked to hear this. He cut inside and hit it with his left foot, right? <laughs> but what he did, Fernandez was wide open on the right. And Fernandez just started screaming at him, who had a fantastic game, by the way. I always slag off Fernandez, but he was unbelievable. He wanted that, and I thought he really, really caused Brighton problems the entire game. He's still a miserly, whinging, punchable prick, but he played very, very well. Um, but Fernandez was screaming at him to give him the ball. And I think it's not only that, yeah, Anthony's predictable, is that he's unable to think about anything else at the moment. It's just like he has no imagination for any other thing. Mm -hmm. And I think Eric Ten Hag needs to start saying to him, right, we need to expand your game because they did spend 80-odd million on him, 100 million on him, whatever it is. And he's got less goals than Nicola Pepe did in his first season. And Nicola Pepe got absolutely brutalized for being a flop. So let's just think about it, right? If you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, Anthony was massively disappointing. If he just all he seems to do is like stare angrily at people when things don't go right, he just like yeah, and just yeah, doesn't yeah. move, just stares, pause, and you're yeah. like, mate, you're not that good. You can't have that like arrogant Audacity, swagger yeah. that you seem to be um, displaying. But I think yeah, he was massively disappointing. Anthony Marshall was hilarious as a as a front option because I honestly I don't understand how he's still at Manchester United. I know nobody wants to buy him. <laughs> But frig me, he is not interested in football. There's nothing about him that screams to me he loves playing the game. Like, he's mm. just there. He's just there, stood there, looking a bit nonplussed. Like, I thought he was ridiculous. And they 
arguably could have played Veghorst and they'd have got a bit more from the front line from the beginning. I think I know he's not really going to score, but he'll at least press and get in the way and do a job. I thought um, Martial was completely pointless. But United got the job done. Rashford was decent. He had some spells, really took the game by the scruff of the neck. Mm-hmm. Wan-Bissaka was very good. For, uh, Fernandez was very good. I feel like Shaw did a pretty good job at centre-back yeah. as well. Um that's like a maybe a short-term fix. We saw him at centre-back earlier in the season as well, we I did, think. yeah. Um, but it seems like a short-term fix for a long-term problem, but it's good to see mm. him doing well there. Um, so, yeah, promising signs for United. They're into a final, a second final of the season. Um, Ten Hag having a very good season. Um, yeah. But they are coming against Manchester City. Now, I can't see anything but a City win here. Um, yeah. I think... I know United's record against City isn't actually that bad, and it's a derby, yeah. so you never know. Exactly. But as an Arsenal fan watching this City team, I feel like they're not going to lose a single game now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they're going to lift the FA Cup, right? How do you see this final going? Do you think it'll be a decent game? I can't see it being a good game. It might not be the most enthralling game, but then again, I think there's a lot on there for both teams. So, for example, for Ten Hag, he wants to complete a double. For example, in his first season, that would be amazing. And I think there's shouts already to say he's the best manager they've had since Fergie's left. Uh, You can definitely back that up, potentially in terms of the fact that he's won the amount of like titles, potentially, in his first season. I mean, Mourinho got a treble, right? Yeah, I mean, well... Double was a treble, not the treble, a not treble, a yeah. treble. no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but Pep's got the opportunity to do the treble mm. as well this season, which would be massive for Man City. I feel, um, like I say, I think they're going to focus on the two key ones though the Premier League as well yeah. as the Champions League. So <laughs> let's wait and see. But this would be the cherry on top, shall we say? I yes, think be and the cherry on top. Weirdly, he hasn't actually won the FA Cup that much. I feel like, no. weirdly, his record in the cup is a bit mad like because yeah arsenal have knocked him out a few times in the fa it's the only time we ever bloody beat him is in the <laughs> fa cup um but so yeah i feel like he he kind of feels like maybe he should be he should have won this more he should have mm. more of these in his, so maybe it will be a bit of focus on it but i can't see anything beyond a city win here um i think it will be a really cagey cagey game i think that the obviously the pressure is going to be turned all the way up um yeah. But we're going to leave the FA Cup there for now. Um, mm-hmm. That's something to look forward to at the end of the season. Um, and we're going to take a switch to the Premier League. And we're going to start with... <laughs> Let's all laugh at Spurs, the bumper edition. <laughs> this was some of the greatest comedy, unscripted comedy I've ever seen in my life. Um I, I put the game on and the missus was like, why are you watching this? Why do you watch Spurs? And I was like, just in case... Just in case, I was like, if they take the lead, I'll just turn over and watch the Italian games. But I need to see how this goes. <laughs> Bloody hell. Um, that was the worst performance, that first 25 minutes, I've ever seen from a Premier League team, ever. Any team, mm-hmm. Derby, yep, that was worse than that. The Leicester-Southampton 9-0, it was worse than that. That first 25 minutes was laughable. Now, I yeah. know that Stellini, who... Has now been sent to pasture. Um, he he really rolled the dice on this one, right? Um, he went from a back three to a back four with loads of defenders that cannot play in a back four and two wing backs who aren't wing back. Well, they can't defend. Perisic mm. is a winger and Pedro Porro, we've seen attacking wise, he's pretty decent, he's pretty threatening. Defensively, he's pretty lacking um yeah. so it was a ballsy move it was a very ballsy move and obviously it didn't work now 
at St. James's Park, early goal. That's the last thing you want to give at that place because you felt the atmosphere. Literally, the roof came off and it just felt like an avalanche heading towards the Spurs Mm -hmm. and they were unable to move. Now, the one that made me laugh the most was, um, I think it was between the fourth and fifth, were they the ones that were scored immediately after each other? Um, It was the third and fourth. It was like immediately. Spurs kicked off. So they showed the replay of the goal. And they hadn't even had time to show Spurs kicking off or Newcastle winning a free kick. And the ball was just going back into the net again. Yeah. And I I really want to know what happened in that break because all I saw <laughs> was in my head, Spurs have the kickoff and then Newcastle have a free kick. I don't know what happened. And then it was literally five passes. One, two, three, four, five, goal. goal. And yeah. nobody in the Spurs team moved. Now, I'm going to get your opinion. Obviously, Stellini did... Yeah, He did fuck this one up. But I've said it before. At what point do you blame the players? They keep letting managers mm-hmm. down. And there's no way he turned around and said to them, play in the back four, but none of yours move. Like, exactly. who who holds the most responsibility here? And then we'll get on to Daniel Levy. I think there's collective responsibility here for that performance. I mean, obviously, I think Stellini straight after the match kind of put his hands up and said tactically he got it wrong and he did try to recitify it, but it was too late by that point. Um, But yeah, you're right. Um, Players need to take ownership of that situation. I'm afraid what kind of was uh, listening to a lot of the kind of, I suppose, analysis and the kind of reaction. I think the thing that really drums quite clear is that there was a lack of will, will from the Mm -hmm. players, because I think that's the thing that was most disgruntling for Spurs fans is that they've made the effort to go all the way to Newcastle and then saw that within 20 minutes, basically. And they were all straight away went to the train station down from the gate area in Newcastle and were basically heading back home because that was hideous that was horrible in terms of performance and i'd hate to see a team that puts in less effort than that spurs team i mean that was for the amount they get paid as well they get paid really handsomely well right yeah they had a week to prepare for this it's not like they don't get to you know it's not like they were driven from north london to newcastle on that day they are treated really well. Um, so, you know, I'm surprised there's not been an apology from Harry Kane. Not that I've seen it anyway. No, um, well, I think, I honestly think at this point now, players apologising to fans almost makes it worse because you're just like, oh, sod off. Like, I'm sick of reading. We need to do better. The boys are really hurting. We go again next week. I feel well, like most fans are just like, just keep it to yourself and show us that you give a shit. Because I don't want to read something that your brother has written in his office. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. King I crayon. get that. I you get know that. what I mean? Like, I think it's. I, I, I don't think that's the, the funniest thing. Another funniest thing was yeah. that the Spurs. I think the Spurs account tweeted Harry's got his goal. Now is <laughs> is the Spurs is our Spurs now just there to service Harry Kane or is that club only there now to make sure Harry Kane gets the Premier League all-time goal scorer because it feels like nothing else matters at club except Harry Kane um and I don't know if that's a healthy place to be that's not a healthy place to be I mean to be <laughs> honest I it wouldn't be great but the way I see it is they have to sell Harry Kane in the summer just to get over Harry Kane 
and just rebuild a whole new squad. Like we yeah. talked about this escape room that he can't escape, right? We've been joking about that for the last few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, literally, they just might as well say, here's the keys, just get yourself yeah. out of there. Just go. Like we, we need yeah. to, as a whole club reset that needs to happen. And I, I, we will move on to Levy, but as a kind of squad piece, they need to move beyond having that one reliant play. And I think you've said it on the last pod. I think you said, Son and Kane are like the rest of them aren't on the same level as us. You know, they well, just I... this is a problem though. You've got a whole a batch of players that are mismatched, but they're not good enough. Not good no. enough to be t- like trying to challenge for that top four, top five. I mean, they're going to be outside of top six at this moment in time. There's no way they. There's no way they make European football this year. No, I'm telling you, it's not. But like, I'm sure Ryan Mason is a lovely bloke and he knows the club. But it's not going to be. There's like, what have you seen? What you've seen from those players is just a complete downing of tools. I feel like the players that come in see it as like an easy payday. Like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, I'll sign for Spurs, get a decent wage. We'll be towards the top of the league, but there's never any pressure. We don't have to really do anything when it gets shit the guy upstairs will sack the manager they'll be blamed and it it all carries on i feel like it's where arsenal were at the peak of like the worst times with wenger when we just signed really bad attitude players who just saw Mm. us as a big payday and we had a load of dross just come through the door that were like uh yeah it's easier here we can just you know half Mm -hmm. Half arse it in training. No one's gonna have a go at us. I just feel like that is what we're seeing on the pitch. There's players like and Son is an incredible player, but Honestly, he has yeah. he has zero drive anymore. Like yeah. I think you and the spirit on the pitch was like not one player turned around and said anything. Not one player was yeah. like fucking boys wake up, like trying to get everyone going. Not one player was trying to take responsibility. It was all just uh he'll run i don't have to and i just yeah. think like the personalities in that changing room now now need changing like yeah, the players like that have been there forever and i think it's part of the reason why pochettino has chosen chelsea over spurs it looks like right because mm. why are you going to go back to a drain a, a changing room where they all fucked you over out of a job it's the same squad. They yeah. all stopped playing for Poch, which is why he got sacked. Why is Poch then going to be going, oh yeah, I'll come back and give it another go? Like, I know Harry Kane's there, but every other player, he'd be looking and going, well, why are you not going to do that to me again? Yeah, what exactly. is the difference now that Eric Dyer is suddenly going to become like <laughs> <laughs> prime Maldini or whatever? If you know what I mean? Like, I know he knows those personalities. Of course he doesn't mm-hmm. want to go back. They've now fucked over every manager they've had. And like, these aren't bad managers. I don't care what you say about Conte and how old fashioned he is or Mourinho and how old fashioned he is. They are both doing, Mourinho is doing an incredible job at Roma, Mm -hmm. like a very, very good job at Roma. And Conte, wherever he lands next, will win a league. He will do very well. Like these are not bad managers. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the squad just needs absolutely tearing apart. Um, But for that to happen, they need the chairman to act and to pick an idea. And I think they've gone from from Pochettino when they were a club that had a clear vision, a clear idea, buy yeah. young players, develop, let's get this vision. It's like they've built a stadium and just gone, ah, we made it. Come. Good. Yeah, we've done it, boys. We're in this massive stadium. Yeah. What else is there to achieve? So do you think at any point there is going to be a change in mindset from Daniel Levy or a sale? Because I think he's perfectly happy where he is 
I think he's comfortable. He's comfortable. Look, he's at the end of the day, I don't feel there's any scrutiny on him in terms of the job that he's got to do there, which is to ensure the revenues are high to pay off the interest and the loans that are being used against the obviously the stadium. And he's not going to invest necessarily into squad um, because he's done that a few times now and he's probably gone, that was the wrong philosophy. That that didn't work. And he's running out of ideas. And I think it's very telling that even in the build-up of like doing these replacements, there doesn't seem to be a clear identity of who they're going to go for. There's no strategy around what they're going to achieve. And by the fact that, you know, they've sacked Stellini, they brought in Ryan Mason, he's a trusted guy by all accounts. But then how far does it go till Mason suddenly like finds himself out the door mm-hmm. as well because they're not in the top six anymore or something like that? I, I don't think that will happen because Ryan Mason obviously being bought in for a reason. I think he's just going to be a one-man club kind of mm-hmm. thing, sort of a solution. But that's not the answer to the long-term strategy. You'd rather, if you're going to sack Stellini, bring someone that you're going to kind of say, right, you've got now the summer. You've got the summer yeah. to rebuild this squad. Because there's no point kind of trying to do intermediate who can maybe get a performance out of this squad. I don't think there will be a performance out of this squad now going to the end of the season. I think they'll be lucky no. if they get a couple of points now leading into this end of the season. I think they'll be very lucky if they are still in the top six by the end of it. And uh, that, That's just being kind to them because they've got Liverpool next. Liverpool, who a few and weeks ago Chelsea, didn't think it would right? happen. I believe so, yeah, got, Chelsea. And I just... think they've got Chelsea right after that. Their fixtures, their next fixtures are absolutely horrible. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's going to be a rough start for Ryan Mason. Um, but, yeah, I, just very quickly, I think Daniel Levy did have the right idea. Pochettino was working. That project was working. All you needed to do is continue in that vein. Get an, If they've down tools for Pochettino, find another young manager who's doing well at, at, at developing players and continue that idea. They got to a Champions League final. That project was mm. working. And then he just ditched it at the first opportunity. It is incredibly, incredibly badly run club at the moment. Um, but it's hilarious. So at least it's that. And in what has been a terrible week for Spurs, last, 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 last thing on them, it looks like Poch is going to Chelsea. And... To rub it all salt in the wounds. Um, happy St. Totteringham's Day, people. Despite Arsenal <laughs> drawing 3-3, it's official that we will finish above Tottenham for the first time since the 2015-16 <laughs> season. Get in there. Even, even when we're throwing it away, we still get one over Spurs. So you love to see it. Love to see it. Um, I think that's a good segue onto the Arsenal game. So now, Spurs fans, you can sit and enjoy as I my mood rapidly uh, deteriorates <laughs> as we talk about Friday night. Um, on Friday's show, we did ask the question, are Arsenal bottling it? And I was like, no, we're not bottling it. Well, listeners, now we are bottling it. That is what bottling it looks like. It's textbook 101 bottling the league. Um, mm-hmm. Oh my God, that emotional journey that I went on was from the first 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jesus, Aaron Ramsdale just, he does that pass a million times a season and it's fine. Alcaraz, who's a very good player, by the way, mm-hmm. really impressed by him. Um, it's just hiding behind Thomas Partey. Um, manages to nick the ball and chip it over Ramsdale. Do you think Ramsdale could do better with that one? I think the f- problem is his pass let him on. 
that that yeah. was the kind of advantages too far out of his goal and that mm-hmm. kind of ruins it i think even the amount of time he has to backtrack and go back to his line i don't think he's going to stop that so unfortunately yes you could argue that he could get more on it but i think he's just lost it from the momentum of giving the ball away yeah, yeah. so unfortunately that's happened um but i think the other thing to kind of say about southampton's performance was really well organized they knew what they had to do and the players like Lavia was another one who played Lavia fantastic. Lavia was unreal. Yeah. He was so good. He was he so was good. incredible. So he's a player that will probably get snapped up if they get relegated. Mm. Um, there's arguments or supposedly uh, Man City have got a clause to say they can buy him at yeah, first yeah. choice. So I wouldn't be surprised if Pep does decide to go in and snap him up again. But there's a number of players in that squad that you kind of go, Ooh, they could do a really good job, like Bazuno, for example, mm-hmm. who frustrated the hell out of the Arsenal people. crowd. Oh, <laughs> it's a good job he's Irish, because I would have been swearing at him a lot more than if he <laughs> yeah. wasn't Irish. <laughs> but he was doing all the tricks that you need to do to frustrate the opposition, right? And that was, I feel like they, I don't know where this Southampton side have been. Like, they could have done with it about 10 games ago, right? They're but, not a bad team. I looked this at it, I was like, thing. this isn't a bad team. Like, they have good performances in them. Mm. It's just that it's a young team, so therefore you're pretty inconsistent. Yeah. And, like, you will have hot and cold days. And, like, I thought Alcaraz, honestly, was unbelievable. And I was like, he is going to get yeah. he's going to get picked off so quickly. He caused us all sorts of problems. Two mm. goals and an assist, I think he got. It was insane. Yeah. No, he got a goal and an assist, right? A goal and an assist. Yeah, um, unbelievable performance from him. There's a lot of quality in that squad. There's a lot of quality in that squad. And what you want at this time of year is kind of, you want to be playing Palace. You want to be playing mm. like, you know, I don't know, another mid, uh, not even Villa. Everton. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, Everton. But a team that's fighting for their lives is never going to be an easy game. No. But the problem is Arsenal made it easy for them. So not only did it we did, give away yeah. that first goal, then the second goal happens. And it's a goal that, for, for us to not know how to defend against Theo Walcott feels particularly irritating <laughs> um, because every Arsenal fan sat there and went, oh, I know exactly where this goes now. I know exactly what happens here. He peels off the defender and he puts it far corner. Yeah, That's exactly what he did. I don't know how Gabriel did not know how to defend against Walcott there. We've got such a high line, which is what we do, but our organisation was absolutely shocking. And all of a sudden we're 2-0 down. And I think, okay, this could actually get pretty messy. This could actually, yeah. like, I, it felt like the game was going to get away from us and we'd have a 3 4 nil. I thought Southampton mm. are just going to, we're going to melt here. And then yeah. there was a huddle on the pitch. So Zinchenko calls all the team together. Erdogan was a little bit annoyed by that, I think. Um, but Zinchenko calls all the team together. They collect their thoughts. Now, Gary Neville was really, like, disparaging about this. And he was like, oh, it's all for show. We did score very shortly afterwards. We did score very shortly afterwards. So I think it did work. And it was potentially what Spurs could have done with doing when the game was getting away from them. I feel like it did serve a purpose. We get one back for a beautiful goal. And it's, of course, Saka and Martinelli that get that are key to the the goal. Now, I feel Mm. like these are two players that have been... The experienced players have let us down over the last few games. Thomas Partey, Zinchenko. Um, it's been the the more experienced ones. Like Jesus have been the ones that have been more panicky and not guiding and not giving that yeah. level of performance. As always this season, it's the younger players that have stepped up. And Saka and Martinelli, I think, despite how awful we were in the first half, 
had unbelievable performances. I think Martinelli was just unplayable. Like, no one could get near him, causing problems the whole time. It was a beautiful finish. And that's a big goal. I think that's key. It's a key moment in the game. Um, then Bednarek goes down with a pretty grim injury. Yeah. That was like having to drag him off the pitch. That was very much a Harry Kane style injury, wasn't it? It was. And I do need to call that out. Martinelli, I said it at the time. I was like, don't start doing that because I've had a go Mm. at players for doing it and I will have a go at Martinelli for doing it. It's a shithouse trick. It's a shithouse trick. You don't need to be doing it. It's like pushing people into hoardings when they're in midair. You just don't know how injured somebody's going to get. And I, th- I hope Martinelli has learned a lesson there because we don't want to see that and I don't want to see Arsenal players doing it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get that goal. It could have been two all before halftime. I think we start pushing. Beginning the second half, we absolutely dominate the ball, give away a completely needless corner because Partey and Holding get their wires crossed. Yep. And nobody decides to move as the ball comes into the box. 3-1. And at that point, it, I put it on Twitter, it felt like an out-of-body experience, honestly. I just didn't know what was happening. What were your thoughts when it was 3-1 Southampton? Did you think that's it? I, I, I genuinely thought that was it. I, as much as the build-up prior to that move kind of suggested that, you know, Arsenal were probing, they were still trying to get at this Southampton defence, I thought as soon as that third one goes in, that's it, game over. Yeah. Because especially the kind of, I think I felt like, oh, I saw like a slump in the like body behaviour of the players um, I think it was shocking that Zinchenko, with all his experience, he checks um, Kaleta Care for that corner. Yeah. He sees him being by himself. So you would have thought, being the experienced pro, Just shout at him. someone or yeah. track him, basically. And then there's obviously the replays that show Saka doing the same thing as well. Yeah. So they're both kicking themselves at that very moment. As soon as that third goal goes in, you can see it's very demeaning for the whole like stadium as well because the atmosphere up until that point was kind of really encouraging for the Arsenal squad to get back into this. As soon as that goes in, dead silent. It was just a very eerie kind of Emirates stage at that point. Um, And one thing I I think I have to get across, so I questioned you on our WhatsApp group about Partey's performance. I felt he should have come off a lot earlier. And why wasn't Jorginho playing? You said about the legs. I still think with Jorginho's experience, he would have done a lot more than Partey did. Um, Second point, Arteta, I feel he's getting these calls really badly wrong at the moment. His experience is being questioned here. And I feel like he should know better at this point to kind of call off performances. Now, holding is another one that probably unfairly gets criticised for the performances mm-hmm. of late. However, you just spent £25 million on Jakub Kivo. How is that guy still not getting a chance in this squad? Yeah, yeah. I don't understand. Even as like a defensive free at the back, surely that gives you an opportunity to have Gabriel or holding beside him and making sure that they aren't getting pulled so easily at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just feel like that was a really good opportunity for Jakob Kivor to have played in this match. You play it sensibly, you still get the result potentially. Yeah. Um, it's very frustrating think, from my point of view. I think it's a very fair, I think it's a very fair criticism. I think holding we've kind of been forced into a little bit because Tommy Asu's injured as well. And I usually I think Ben White would tuck in and Tommy Asu would play right back or Tommy Asu yeah. would play centre back and Ben White would say right back. I think he's kind of been forced into that holding decision. And I think I would like to see a bit more of Kivior. I love holding as a person, but I am realizing how limited a player he is um, over the last couple of games because mm. our passing from the back has just completely disintegrated. Um, 
yeah, it, it, I can't. He cannot start against Man City. He can't start against Man City. We need to come up with something else. Um, with Thomas Partey, I think it's karmic justice. I think we're getting punished for playing him the entire season. I think karma is punishing us and saying, okay, you can play someone like that, but he is going to hit his worst form at the most important time mm. of the season. And you, I feel like there's just karma in the air there. And maybe Arteta will learn a lesson about um, deciding which, what decisions you're going to make on and off the field. Because I think, I feel there's a bit of karma there. And I, I've said it the whole way through this season. The second that that story came out, I wouldn't have played Partey anyway. But the second we signed Jorginho, Partey never would have been anywhere near the team. Um, yeah. I just don't want him anywhere near it. And watching him now completely screw up every performance is extra infuriating um, because he's dropped three clangers in a row. And that second yeah. goal was from him losing the ball again as the penalty against West Ham mm -hmm. was from him losing the ball again. And it just feels like, yeah, the experienced players are not turning up. But we're 3-1 down. In the 88th minute, we're 3-1 down. And this is why I will never question the character of the players in this squad because or how much they want it. There was shocking there was shocking playing at the beginning. There's been some awful performances, but you cannot tell me that these players do not care about this club and they do not want this with everything that they have because they fought back two yeah, goals is. in a minute. We had eight. Eight minutes to get a winner. We very nearly mm -hmm. should have. We should have had a winner. I think we should have won that game based yeah. on the last 10 minutes. And what that tells me is all of a sudden you're looking and going, okay, there is something there. There is something in that team that they refuse to give up. They refuse yeah. to lose and they refuse to go, oh, you know what? It's not our day. They got the point. They fought back. It was intense. Trossard hit the crossbar. I was stood yeah. behind the sofa like crying <laughs> it was just this whole the energy in the house was a lot um but it shows us something about this team right it shows us that they are they have the fight needed right of course they do yeah yeah i think i think it was very evident towards that like kind of last 10 minutes they were trying their very best to try and get back themselves into the match but also it did feel like they were going to get a winner it did feel mm -hmm. like they were going to, and I don't know if maybe there should have been a penalty. It felt like at yeah. one point it was very hard to see from the angles, but um, certainly I think Jesus like was looking for it. Jesus, yeah, and that's what you it. expect. Yeah. That's what you expect. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, it's just a little bit of experience. Also, Partey when he had that, well, he just so shot, even, shot honestly, from distance. That that was ridiculous. I mean, he, is... every player knows not to do that. You just bang it into the box you do or you at least pass it to feet right yeah. you pass if, it to feet if that is a 17 year old off the bench who just fucking gets excited and spams it you're like all right okay yeah fine for one of your most experienced players to do that when you've got yeah. ben white and erdegaard screaming for the ball it just shows a complete lack of anything yeah. like i was so angry when he hit that shot i was just so angry because it just what the are you doing we've <laughs> yeah, got exactly. all the pressure yeah all the southampton just go okay reset boys we've got another two minutes before we start the game let's just see this one out it. just complete brain dead level honestly i was so fucking angry um but trossard two yards out could have won the game he could have won yeah, the game. He if he was two it. yards further out he could have won it i really thought that was going in but it's a point salvaged the only thing that worried me was the body language after the game it's yes. the first time i've seen the players like 
on their hunches. They looked devastated. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, what I wanted to see was, and I think Arteta did, to be fair, was to get all the players up, stand up, go and applaud the fans. Like, it's done, next game. I think he did try to get them going, but it's the first time I've seen their body language, like, oh, we fucked this. And 48 hours until we play Man City, basically. And Mm-hmm. Freak me. We are coming into it in the worst form we've been in this season. I think this is the worst form we've been in three draws in a row. Um, but at least they know what they've got to do. They can't. Yeah, we have a to... clear objective. You yeah, have yeah. to win. You have yeah. to win. No draw is going to be acceptable. You can't lose this game either. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a really tense game, I, f- I suspect. And I'll, I'll be intrigued by the tactics that Arteta decides to deploy. Does he go to shut up shop in the first half and then maybe kind of try and exploit Man City? Or, you know, how does he outwit Pep and that Man City team? I mean, it's going to be a very tall order to kind of change it. But it is possible. Look, you just got to look at the Champions League matches that Man City have lost and kind of work out what is it that kind of made it happen that way? Like, mm-hmm. what did their other opposition do? And I think even the Liverpool game against Man City kind of tells you a lot that actually, yeah. if you're in their faces, they do not like it. They mm-hmm. don't like it. So perhaps he needs to be a bit more smarter in terms of the personnel that he involves. Yeah. I would drop Partey without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put someone like Jorginho, you put someone like Xhaka in the middle of the park to just... We missed Xhaka massively as well, yeah. to be fair. We did miss, like, Fabio Vieira did not have a good, game, no, good day at the office. Not. He can't do that Xhaka role. He's just... He's a. I think he, there's a good player there. He's just... He's not physical enough yet. He's, like, he's, he's, yeah. he's thinner than me. Like, the guy's scrawny, like... <laughs> And he just looks a bit out of his depth at the minute. I would have Trossard in that midfield or start in straight away. I don't care. Trossard mm-hmm. has to start. I know off the bench he, he has a really good impact every time he comes on, but yeah. I think he's a starter in that team. And I would arguably start him ahead of Jesus at this point and just be like, just do that false nine role that he did so well before. Yeah. Um, the interesting one is the defence because Saliba, it looks like he's out for the season now. So, yeah. So, bringing Kivol. I think throwing him in against Man City is going to be bloody rough, I think. Um, And he's a left-footed centre-back, and we've got Gabriel as the left-footed centre-back. He wants a right-footed centre-back in that right spot. I think if we can get... I don't know how far Tomiyasu is from fitness, but just pump him full of something and get him on that pitch for the City game because we need... Even, we need someone there, or even play Thomas Party at right back because he can do it. Well, he can do I, it. I would actually it. go with three in defence personally: Gabriel, mm. Kivor, and Ben White. I yeah. go on the right hand side, Sinchenko, and you got Kieran Tierney at left back. Mm. Gives you like the balance, yeah. right? So then you've got a solid kind of in the middle. Like I say, you have the two in the midfield, so you have Shaka and Jorginho, and then potentially off the wings you have your Trossard potentially and Saka, yeah. and then up top, then you go with. Martinelli that, yeah, that's the yeah. way I would play it yeah and that way you can counter attack but you can still hold on to possession and Martinelli can kind of divot and do lots of different things if you get Trossard in behind it as well if you can get them to kind of play into little kind of picks of like possession and I think this is a thing Man City can be dragged out of position you just got to kind of weigh up who they're likely to play potentially I try and push down that left hand side as much as you can mm. as well that's an opportunity for Arsenal. So there is a way to get at Man City. I just feel like you're just going to have to be clever with the way you kind of match up certain battles, potentially. Yeah. 
No margin for error. We've lost yes. the margin. Um, AFC Finners, friend of the show. All right, mate, comments. This could be a similar lesson Liverpool learned to having Solanke on the bench in the Champions League final. You can't win without depth. It's, I saw a stat. Now, I thought I'd bookmarked it, but I haven't. So this is going to be a vague fingerprint of a memory of a, of a fact. But I think it was that Arsenal have nine players in the starting 11 that have played over 20 games in the Premier League this season, or it's 10, and Man City have five. Right. Like they can recycle their squad a lot more mm-hmm. than we can. And even though we are playing one game a week and that should be an advantage, we do just have a small squad. We don't have like yeah. that dropping quality is still quite steep. And that's why I think regardless of what happens, this summer is going to be a very big summer. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of money and there's going to be a lot of recruitments coming in, I think. Um, but we will see. We've kind of previewed Wednesday before uh, our weekend preview. So we that's done. Um, <laughs> but we're going to move on to Serie A because I'm very aware of time. And of yes. course, we've got carried away with Arsenal and spent too long. Um, elsewhere, Leicester won. Massive win. Um, and I think that was it in the Premier League, eh? Leicester won. And- well, West Ham. West Ham was oh, the West other Ham. one we've got to huge, call out. Huge win for West Ham against Bournemouth. Incredible Scorpion falling forward flip goal from four nails, which was worth watching. And yeah. Declan Rice, Declan Rice needs to stop scoring because every time he scores, it's another 10 million on his price tag. <laughs> and he is scoring every game at the minute. But beautiful yeah. to see. He's really hit form towards the end of the season. Yeah. Um, feels like West Ham are pulling themselves out of it. So good work, Hammers. We'll have to get Tom Wayne on to talk Conference League at some point and the Happy mm. Hammers. But we are going to go to Serie A. I'm going to talk all things Calcio. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Doppel questo. My name is David Artel, and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian pod. Ciao, benvenuti, come stai? <laughs> Welcome to the Serie A review. And we're going to start with, guys, we thought it was done. We thought it was done in January. But we have a relegation battle in Serie A. It looked like Verona, Cremonese and Sampdoria were cut off. The gap was like 10 points at one point, I'm sure, if not bigger. And now Spezia have managed to drag themselves way into it. And Verona are starting to drag their way out of it. Adam, take us through what could be a fascinating relegation battle. Certainly can be. Um, So we start off with what happened on Friday evening, and it was Hellas Verona taking on Bologna. Now, in this particular fixture, I think we both said it, it was going to be one of the maybe home form counting here. And certainly that's the way it played out because Hellas Verona had a fantastic performance against Bologna. Bologna weren't terrible by any stretch of imagination. Uh, Kirksey, who was up front for mm-hmm. Bologna, did have chances. And, you know, the combination of Dominguez, I think he's a very underrated player, one to look out for the future, Argentinian. So, yeah, he's got a touch of quality to him. Um, but, yeah, incredible performance by, obviously, Hellas Verona. Kevin Lasagna was unfortunate on a few occasions, getting on the end of things. Um, but 
yeah, in the end, it was a good victory for Hellas Verona. Uh, just trying to find the goal scorers' names here. But yeah, Verdi, uh, both won from the pen as well. Um, fantastic effort for the second one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that set the tone. So that obviously puts them into position. Going into Saturday, then you've got Sampdoria taking on Spezia and Spezia knowing what they have to do. This is a bit of a derby as well for Spezia and Sampdoria. Yeah, Ligoria um, derby. And then this is the thing. It went the way of Sampdoria initially after 20 minutes. Um, and you're thinking the worst for Spezia because Spezia actually didn't do too badly. I think this is the thing with Spezia. They seem to go on these kind of counter-attacking runs and Zolo on the end of it inevitably. Um, but yeah, it was a routine corner and headed in uh, for um, Sampdoria by the right back. I've forgotten his name, but yeah, basically he's never scored for Sampdoria before this game, scores the goal. And then it was all second half, pretty much all Spezia attacking into the half. Vishniewski coming into it as well. Um, But yeah, the man we have to talk about is Daniele Verdi. He um, leaps like a salmon for the second one, uh, basically heads it into the goal and could have inevitably won the game for Spezia towards the end. Um, And yeah, I think you could tell by the reaction at the end, Spezia were much more happy about this. Sampdoria heads pretty much condemned. They know it's on the cards. Probably by next weekend, it will be confirmed. Um, But Spezia, obviously, it's going to be very tight now going into this kind of latter games now. Because, yeah, I think on balance of paper, I'm just having a look at the fixtures again. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like Spezia have a more favourable run, it has to be said. Um, But they do have to go end of the season to away to Roma. So if there's anything that's holding on to that result potentially, but I don't know about the run of Hellas because... I was just looking, I'll I'll look through Spezia's fixtures. Mm. They've got Monza at home, then they've got Atalanta away, Cremonese away, so that's another big relegation battle. Then they've got Milan at home, Lecce away, which is massive because Lecce are only currently one point ahead of them. They're getting dragged into it as well. Then they've got Torino at home, and then as you said, um, no, Torino is the last game at home, right? No, it's the last Roma. game of the season. Roma, Roma, away. Roma to be. Oh, yeah. oh, sorry, yeah, Roma at home to finish the season. Yeah. Um, but there's, I would say, like Atalanta away, Monza at home is a difficult one as well. But that Lecce game is going to be absolutely huge because Lecce are getting dragged into it as well. Whereas Verona, just looking, they've got Cremonese away next. Yeah, Inter at home, Lecce. Torino at home, Atalanta, Empoli, and then Milan away. They're kind of playing similar teams, but I think Verona yeah. have got a few games there where they might be struggling as well. Um, and then just to finish off the set, Lecce, oh, bloody hell, Udinese <laughs> at home, Juve away, Verona at home, Lazio away, Spezia at home, Monza away, then Bologna at home. So Lecce have got some really hard fixtures as well. Mm. Who do you see getting to? I think Lecce are sleepwalking into it. I feel like we thought they were comfortable, Safe, didn't we? but they yeah. really are sleepwalking into it. They looked, I know it was a rough game. It was a tough game of the weekend. Like Milan, it's a tough game, but they really do look like they're sleepwalking into it, right? They do. Unfortunately, the run that they've been on has been terrible because when was the last time that they won a game? It was back in February um, against... Atalanta way as well, of mm-hmm. all places. Um, normally... Atalanta's home for so weird. It's so weird. <laughs> it's so yeah. random. Um, I normally would go, Lecce need to make sure that the home form really is on tie. 
Um, the big game, it looks to me anyway, looking at the fixtures, 7th of May when they're at home to Hellas Verona. It feels like if they're going to pull themselves out of it, they have to win that game particularly. Um, given that Hellas Verona, I think the previous week will be at home to Inter. So that says a lot in terms of if they get a result, even if it's just a draw, then they go into that game really confident about potentially just needing a point away to Lecce, which, you know, that probably wouldn't be good enough for Lecce, who then go away to Lazio. Then they're at home to Spezia. Um, it's getting tight. It's getting incredibly tight. Um I always feel like Spezia are safe as well, but it just feels like they're another side that felt really comfortable to a point. Um, and now it just feels like they're getting dragged into it. And um, just to compel it, Salernitana, the team that we expected to be in a relegation zone, they've gone two months unbeaten, Rory. <laughs> and they were beating <laughs> Sassuolo. <laughs> and I put in the notes, was Consili like fishing before this match? Because the goals they conceded were pretty much like the softest goals you could ever imagine. Like one of the efforts, I think, from Dier, it kind of just comes off him and goes into the net. It was so poor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, terrible. It's completely it's completely gone under the radar that Salernitana run. And like yeah. Solza has done an incredible job since he's come in. Um it has been outstanding. But I also want to say um Zaffaroni at Verona has done very well as well. Like he's been in charge for 16 games won five, drawn six, lost five, down in a relegation battle. That is pretty good. Like, good. like starting to get mm. some form together, starting, you know, winning as many as you're losing when you're down there. <laughs> pretty good. Um, so I think he's done a hell of a job there. And I, I think maybe those two teams making those managerial changes could be the difference. Samp, it was a little bit too far, I think. Uh, but it seems like Spezia are going to get dragged in, uh, are the one... Like they've not made a managerial change and it seems like he was mm. kind of starting to panic in that game and they're all starting to panic. Yeah. So it'll be a really interesting, interesting battle down there. I did very quickly want to say as well for Verona, Verdi was at Salernitana last year and he scored some really key goals to keep mm. them up. So they've done very well in getting someone with a bit of nous on how to stay up. Um, so even if the Scudetto race looks like it could be over, maybe, um, we do have a relegation battle to keep us going. Adam, I'm yeah. going to put you on the spot. Who goes down? Lecce. Just to keep your missus happy. I know, yeah, she'll be very happy. <laughs> she will be very, very happy. When when I put them on the TV the other day, she was like, why Why are we watching these? I was like, all right, sorry, sorry, right, okay, good. I like Basket Otto, what can I say? Sorry. Um, I think... Yeah, I kind of think Lecce, their form is so piss poor. Like, Spezia and Verona are kind of getting the odd result, whereas Lecce is just loss, 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 um, and they really struggle to score goals. Like, they've scored 38 goals. Um, No, they've scored 26 goals all season (laughs) in 16 games compared to, like, yeah, although not many of them have around them, to be honest. But I feel like they really, really struggle to to, to score goals. One thing I will say, up. Lecce were unlucky against Milan. They did mm. hit the post from Bamba. Uh, Strafezza is another player yeah. that on his day, he can be a match winner for them, to be fair. So it, it's just getting the combination right, to be mm. fair. Um, and the fact that they only lost 2-0 to Milan, I think, yeah, they did have the opportunities to get themselves back into this match. So... 
you never know. Maybe it is going to be revitalized mm. by the very nature of you could be relegated next season. Um, we'd love to see Bacharito back in the Serie A league as well for next season. Yeah. So from that, well, they have got there. they have got the best defense of the teams down there. Like the teams that are involved, like Lecce have mm. conceded thirty eight, then it's Spezia forty nine, Verona forty four, Cremonese fifty seven, Sampdoria fifty two. Like that's. Like 38 is up there with like Fiorentina Torino who've conceded 36. If you know what I mean? Like that is a, that is a kind of, yeah, Mm. that's a Serie A defense. Milan have conceded 37. If you know what I mean? Like, so it's it's a Serie A defense. It's the other end of the pitch where they, where they struggle. So I think, um, yeah, it will be interesting to see, but we're going to leave the relegation battle there for now. And we're going to scream up to the top as, the Scudetto is getting closer. Evicino and Napoli is getting closer and closer. The celebrations have officially started. If you're on Instagram and if you follow Osimhen, uh, Anguissa, uh, Lobotka, if you don't follow any of them yet, follow them now uh, because it's about to get wild. Last night, my mm. favorite video of all the videos is all of the mopeds just following the, tr- the, the, the bus. <laughs> the bus. It is yeah. the most Neapolitan picture ever. There are <laughs> mopeds with like four people on them. Not a single one of them wearing helmets. They're all just smoking and on their phone while they're on the moped. It is the most Neapolitan thing you've ever seen. And all the Napoli players are just like, non credo. Like, I do not believe what is happening. I do not believe it. Beautiful to see that followed by the video of Osimhen on the bus dancing with Anguissa and um, <laughs> Farah, I'm not sure who the yeah, third player Farah, was. Farah. Kvara, of course. It's kicking off. It's kicking off. And what a way to potentially pretty much almost certainly secure the Scudetto as a mm. way to Juve. Only the fourth time in Napoli's history that they've done the league double over Juve. Like, it is huge how big that win is. And... Well, Juve fans cry conspiracy. Um, oh, Adam, sake. now let's go through the decisions. <laughs> There's been a lot. There's been a lot of, oh, the referee was a, a Napoli fan. Even from Adrien Rabio's brother put oh, on Instagram. Because his family <laughs> seemed delightful. His brother put on Instagram that the referee was a Napoli fan. Do you think Juve had any reason to complain about this ref? Not really, no. I, I mean, I could maybe sympathise maybe with the Di Maria goal that it's quite soft um, mm-hmm. because it, I feel that could be deemed as a 50-50, right? Um, but ultimately, mm-hmm. I think the way the referee judges it is that he gets the man before the ball, if that makes sense, even though the momentum didn't kind of show him taking out the man as you would traditionally kind yeah. of associate with those kind of challenges. You definitely feel or feels like that's the one that they might have a gripe over. Um, but that said, the performance from Juventus was shocking. Like, oh, to yeah, defend yeah. at home when you're in that position, it was terrible watching. I, I nodded off again, I think, in this match because it was that kind of match where I was like, Jesus Christ, there's got to be something to watch at, on a Sunday evening like better than this. Like, it was terrible to watch. Uh, Napoli had a lot of possession, it has to be said. And I don't... I, I did feel like they might be losing this game because of the way they were going about it. But I feel like Spalletti almost played his cards really well in this particular match because, like, look, if you're going to have a team like Juventus defend like the way they did, then it's very hard to kind of penetrate into them. And uh, you could feel the frustration of Osman, for example, at times. He was 
digging his heels in, trying to get the best out of any kind of balls that came through to him. But Gatti, I felt, had a very assured performance in that Juventus lineup. Again, he's a player that should have probably played a lot more this season for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, Raspadori, he comes oh. out with that performance and that oh. goal. I mean, it was great I work him. in I love fairness. Him, Obviously, it was his run that kind of starts it off, if you recall, because he does that one-two with Osserman mm. on the left-hand side. Bulga then goes on the right-hand side, where Zelinski kind of rings or draws out the kind of midfielder, plays it to Elmas. Elmas dinks it into the box, and Raspadori just unmarks and hammers it home past Chesney. I mean, it's beautiful sights. Um, I don't know about you, but the Juve f- um, players getting a bit argy-bargy about Napoli celebrating in front of, of Juve, uh, Juventus fans was a bit weird as well. Vlaovic um, there's there's going over there as well. Yeah, there's a big thing in Serie A about, you know, celebrating on people's grounds. And I think it is a bit more like culturally significant than it would be mm. in the UK. I feel like it feels a bit more like people take it much more personally than we would in the UK. Um, but every team does it. And you better believe Juve would have been doing it if of they'd have won in Naples. Like, there's no way that if they hadn't got spanked 5-1 or whatever it was, they would have been dancing on the Napoli turf. So I don't <laughs> think there's any argument there. I think um, you were fair with the referee. I think there was very little to kind of argue with there. I think it was a foul in modern football. That's a yeah. foul. We've seen it given. He makes player. He makes contact with the player first. It is a bit of a wild tackle, I think. So I can see why the ref's given it. Um, the one that really pissed me off was Quadrado diving. Um, oh, that was terrible. Now, if we talk about Fernandez being a punchable prick. Quadrado is light years ahead of that bloke. Like, oh, um, friend of the show, Uncle Sharma tweeted, <laughs> retweeted of party around <laughs> my house when this dickhead retires. Like, and I think it's just he's. I all I saw was a player dive, and I went, yeah. "It's Quadrado." Of course, yeah. it's Quadrado. He is, yeah. He's such a cheating little bastard. Um, but I've seen, I've seen Juve fans claiming that was a penalty. It wasn't no, a no, penalty. Wasn't. I'm sorry, but they did have two goals. The the other goal was disallowed for it going Flavich. out of play, right? But it was miles out of play. Yeah. Like it was it was well over the line. There's no argument there. But what we saw was Napoli of old. Now they've put this massive setback in the Champions League behind them. And what we saw, there was that run where they beat Milan in the last minute, I want to say, and they beat Inter in the last minute. Maybe there was like a run of games where they kept beating mm-hmm. teams in the last minute, and it was just showing that fight. And I think what we saw there was that Napoli again, and they just refused to stop. They knew that they had to beat in a Juve there. They knew yeah. that they could get something. And they just kept pushing. And that Raspadori, it was a beautiful finish as well. It was a really nice yeah. goal. Like, to keep that calm in that moment. And I saw since Raspadori's had the comments of, like, I was shaking after the goal as I realized how much that could mean and how much that goal is going to be, like, in, yeah. Na- in Napoli folklore forever now. Um, and I just think it was a really, really, really beautiful performance from Napoli and the best way to respond to what could have been a real wheels off moment of getting knocked out of the Champions League against Milan and like me and AFC Finners were chatting on Twitter and I said it has been in, in the back of my mind that are Napoli going to fuck this up but I think they've just they've done, done it. it and there's no one I'm happier for either than Spalletti like mm-hmm. it just his comments after the game so he says every now and then you do look back I've not travelled around in first class looking out of the window it was by hitchhiking. So when you find yourself in a position to win this Scudetto, it repays you for all the sacrifices that you made over the years. Naturally, it is satisfying, satisfying to be here. I've often been mocked for wearing football boots on the touchline, 
but I remember when I desperately wanted those boots and could not afford to get them. I remember that well. It has been a tougher road perhaps than others who start from different levels. They earned respect and admiration for their playing careers in order to deserve the opportunity to leave to lead a top team from the start. And this is it. Like this is a manager who his Serie A record is. He has been a great manager, and he's managed mm-hmm. great clubs. He's managed Roma. He managed Inter. He's always been the nearly man. He's always. Like yeah. when he was in charge of Roma, it was that inter team with Mourinho and Mancini that just constantly pipped them to the title. And then when he was um, at Inter, he constantly came second to Juve. And he's just never quite been there. And I think this is just, I could not be happier for a man who's worked so hard and done so much for Serie A and played such beautiful football at most of the teams he's been at, mm-hmm. for him to get his first Scudetto at, at a club where it just means more. Like, yeah. I, I'm, um, I don't know if other Serie A fans will like hearing this, but a title in Naples means more than a title in Milan. It means more than mm. a title in Rome. Like, it just means more. And for him to get that first title with them, I just think is absolutely beautiful. And, like, he'll finally be considered, like, an elite coach. And this is a, a guy that, when he was at Inter, I didn't enjoy watching his Inter team. I thought they played terrible mm-hmm. football. And it was yeah. just endless crosses to Icardi, and it was just boring. And I honestly thought this guy's overrated. I just can't enjoy the football and he's not doing anything with Inter. And then he's taken over at Napoli and just, have you been surprised at how well he's done there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I wouldn't have said that Napoli would finish as highly as they have this season, but they've stumbled across certain players as well. Don't forget, Kafara, mm-hmm. no one knew about his potential really, because although he had shown glimmers, we didn't really when know he was how in he Russia, would adapt. People, yeah, exactly. That was the big in. thing. And Greaser was another one, obviously coming in from Fulham. We didn't anticipate the season oh, he's player. had. And then you think about the established players like Mario Rui, for example. Mm. He was written off last season. Yeah, Everyone yeah, was yeah, kind yeah. of leave him or let him go on a free transfer. He's not really needed here, for example. Uh, but you know he's built a fantastic squad as well along the sides of like the existing players. Raspadori coming here. Uh, I think Mateus Oliveira, who looks like the long-term replacement for Rui. I'm impressed yeah. by him. He's done really well for Uruguay in the past. Uh, but I feel like there, there's still a lot of elements that they can improve on. Rachmani, I think, has been a bit hit and miss of late. Yeah. But yeah, he's been solid for the majority of the season. Min Jae. What a signing that's been, for example. I didn't see that happening, especially when you're kind of saying, Turkish League? Like, how good can this guy actually be? Replacing Koulibaly, the icon of the team for the past 10 years or whatever. Exactly, exactly. So this is the thing. And I also think about Fabian Rui, who left, obviously, Mm -hmm. Napoli, went to PSG, and I kind of went at the beginning of the season. I think they'll regret that. I thought he had some good games for Napoli. And that turned out to be the biggest BS ever because he's yeah. turned out to be absolutely useless at PSG. And that's paid off favourably for Napoli. And um, yeah, I think you look at the strategy, they are really well endowed at the moment. De Laurentiis is going to make a mint of whoever wants to buy his players now going forward. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised if Spalletti even might kind of decide whether he wants to stay there because, I mean... You know, this is a tough ask now going into second season. He'll be considered a hero regardless, right? But yeah, yeah, does he yeah. go out on that shining armour, you know, with his horse and just go, I, I've called it a day. Call it a day now at Napoli. I've done my duty. I feel like he's a really loyal bloke. I yeah. feel like he'd just be like, no, I'm here until you don't want me here. I honestly feel mm. like he's just like, and he could see 
like we've seen how open Serie A is over the last couple of years. Like we're heading into our third, well, this is our third season and we're going to have our third different Serie A title winner. Like it's pretty crazy. You don't get that in in the Premier League, right? So I think Spalletti knows how open it is, but that also means there's a door open there to dominate. Like there is a chance there for one team to really make that jump and be like, right, we can set up a legacy here. And I think why not Napoli? They're a very well-run club. They've got a young team there with lots of talent very well coached and Spalletti if they are and they seem to be willing to back him and mold the club to him he could really make this a team that's like not just one Scudetto it goes on and wins a few and becomes like the great if you know what I mean like yeah, there's yeah, an opportunity yeah. there without being like hyperbolic I think like there is an opportunity there because we're seeing a lot of teams at the same level in Serie A mm. and that's great because it means competitiveness but if one team can get out there and really push it'll be incredible the problem is for them holding on to these players because Osman is going to go. Um, Kavala has signed a new contract, I think. So I don't think he's going to be going anywhere immediately. Osman, I think, is probably gone. Um, so the problem for them is post this season, yeah. how much that team can they keep together, I suppose. Um, but I don't want to focus on the negatives for the Napoli no, fans. No. Enjoy the wins, right? Enjoy, it. Enjoy this because it's going to be incredible. Um, and yeah, just could not, could not be happier for um, Spalletti. But for Juve... They've had their points back, but they've now... I was looking at their fixtures. Their last win in the league was on the April the 1st against Verona at home. Since they have lost to Lazio away, uh, they lost to Sassuolo away, and now they've lost to Napoli at home. Now, they're a team that we've said have been struggling attacking-wise for a while. In those games, they've scored a grand total of one... (laughs) One, one goal. They have scored one goal across those games. So that didn't take long to count. Um, is it again, <laughs> what is going on at, at Juve? They need to find a way to make Vlaovic work. They need to find a... You've got Vlaovic, mm-hmm. Chiesa and Di Maria. That is not a bad front three. That is a very it's good front yeah. three. It's how do they make this? How do they make this work? They need to work on the way that they do the build-up to their players. Um, I feel like Vlaovic probably could do with maybe not necessarily having so much in the way of supporting runners uh, beside him. He could do better when he's by himself. He just Mm. needs a service. That's ultimately the issue, right? Um, But even in this match, Chiesa is a right wing back again. Like, what the hell is going on? Like, are you saying (laughs) this talent that has scored you so many goals two seasons back is now a right wing back? I'm sorry, but Allegri's lost the plot. He... And I'm sure that's what Juventus fans have been saying for a long time, that they've just not said it because the form has been spectacular up until recently. Mm. Um, But there is those issues that Allegri cannot get the best out of this squad. He cannot, I suppose, inspire them to do anything but defend at this moment in time. That seems to be the only way that they work. So it almost feels like if you play into the hands, that's the only way that they can work, really. Mm. It It almost feels like... Yeah, something fundamental has to happen. But I don't think, ultimately, it goes back to what we said earlier in this season's pod. They cannot afford to sack him, unfortunately, regardless. So even if they get, say, the money from the Champions League to sack him, they're going to have to get a new man in charge. Then they're going to have to back that man. And then it's a question about these players that they've got on the books at the moment. So Rabiot looks like he's a cert to go now by the sounds of it. So then that's a little bit of money off there. I suspect Paredes will probably go. Di Maria yes. is probably not going to hang around, I suspect. So then you're recouping some costs there. 
but Vlavic is the big one, right? So they spent a lot of money. There's probably a lot to be paid off for this season as well, because this will be technically his second season at Juventus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just feel like you almost want to go back to having someone that can bring up the kids, someone that can work with the kids that they've got and just add a, or sprinkle a few experienced heads in every department and then see how it goes. But literally, I couldn't tell you who's the right man to bring in. Um they don't like the prospect of Deserbi, I suspect. Um, but I don't think Deserbi goes into that job wanting no, to be there. So. And that, this is a problem. But then I, you think, so realistically, you, Juric wouldn't drop like Torino to go to mm-hmm. the other side. I can't see that happening. Paladino, who's been doing a very good job at Monza, I think but he's probably too soon for this. Juve so see then, them, but Juve see themselves as a big name coach, a big name coach club. And yes. there's one that's just been sacked by Tottenham. <laughs> I think, honestly, Antonio that. Conte walks back into that job because he wants that job again. He mm. definitely wants that job again. And I think if they can hash out a, we'll pay you this much and give you this much money. Now we know Juventus is skinned, but I think Conte for Juventus might be a little bit more flexible than he would be for other clubs. I think yeah. come the end of this season... Allegri is invited to leave and Conte comes in. If not Conte, I think they need to eat some humble pie and get Eagle Tudor from Juve because they should yeah. from Marseille because they just yeah. never should have sacked him. They just never should have sacked him. But I think Juve see themselves as an established coach club. I don't think they mm. go for up and coming managers. They come for someone who's like Juventus, right? They come for someone who's ready to win now. So I think. Conte is the obvious one for me, but if they if they have to stick with Allegri, then there's going to be more the same next season because the fact he hasn't, as you said, in two seasons, I forgot it was Vlavic's second season, really. Mm. The fact that he hasn't figured out how to use him yet is criminal because I've said it before and I'll say it again. It was Haaland, it was Mbappe, Haaland, yeah, and Vlavic, Vlavic is the yeah. most exciting strikers in Europe. And he's just completely shot. And that whole team should be built around him and Chiesa. They are yeah. the two bright sparks in that team, youth, energy, etc., that can get you a bit of attacking verve. Exactly. And I think there's just zero creativity there. And players like Quadrado, etc., just need to be <laughs> moved on. Um, very, very lastly on this game as well, Gatti was incredibly lucky to stay on the pitch. Um, he punched, was it Kvara in the side of the head? Um, VAR caught it. Um, mm. Or cameras caught it, but it wasn't cameras looked at. It, yeah, he he like just punched him in the side of the head, and he wasn't sent off. I'm not sure why that wasn't given. I'm not sure what went on there, but Juve fans conveniently haven't been bringing that one up today. They haven't seen that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that was a definite, definite red. Um, but we're going to leave Napoli and Juve there. Um, we're going to keep covering the partying in Napoli because it oh, just looks like such a fun place to be. I really want to be there early June. My dad's booked an apartment down there, and I think I'm going to try and sneak off and go down for the weekend. Um, <laughs> if I do, I'll be uploading videos and all sorts to the to the uh, social media. Don't worry. Um, but next in Serie A, we're going to go for, should we cover the Milan clubs? We've kind of yeah, covered let's Milan already. But let's, let's look at Inter as... Lula is back. <laughs> Lukaku gets two goals and sets up Lautaro for the third. Um, this they scored from open play and everything. Can you imagine? I know. Lukaku I know. two goals from open play. Um, it was actually a bit of attacking verve here from Inter. They had a massively recite um 
uh, rotated team. Um, yeah. Bastoni didn't play. Obviously, rested a lot. Like Gagliardini started. Yeah, exactly. um, Bellanova started. So there yeah. was a, a bit of a B team. Empoli, a tough place to go to. But mm-hmm. Inter getting that Lukaku Lautaro partnership. Are they going to buy him in the end? I feel like Lukaku's doing a Rabio and playing for that transfer. <laughs> He's going to want to go to Inter. You can guarantee he wants to stay in Inter. I think the problem will be the finances. Mm-hmm. And Lukaku's got to drop his wage demands ultimately yeah, if he yeah, wants yeah, to stay yeah. there. But yeah. I can't see it happening personally. Um, but on Rom, he was incredible. Mm-hmm. The, that was the performance of a Romelu Lukaku that threatened a few seasons back under Conte. That was the site that you did not want to play against. Now, Empoli, yes, they made it easy. They didn't yeah, yeah. really do the duties that you expect. And they made it easy for Lukaku, but he was incredible because he was the driving force at times. You know, he was the one that set up uh, his teammate Martinez for the third goal. This first one, he takes fantastically well. On two great finishes, the... two yeah, really exactly. nice finishes. It was the second one that I was most yeah. impressed with. But I mean, even the first one, the fact that that is his weaker foot as well. And to kind of get that on target the way he does, um, it was just impressive, really impressive in the way he kind of goes about his duties. I mean, if he can display that for the rest of the season, then he's got a chance of getting a contract somewhere, potentially in Europe. And do you know what? If he does end up at Chelsea and decides he wants to play for that club, that would be a good place for him, to be fair, with the amount of service that he could get out of those midfielders. <laughs> any be, one of them. <laughs> any one of them, basically. I mean, it's incredible. I, I think they could get a tune out of him. But the problem is I can't see him staying there because I think he's burnt that relationship with Chelsea, mm-hmm. full stop. Yeah, now, yeah. given that there's new ownership, potentially there'll be a new man at the helm by the beginning of next season. They might give it a shot. They might give him a chance. Um but they could do with a big physical striker. Poch cooking with Lukaku would be quite exciting, oh, I think. Um, but yeah, Lukaku, I, you're right. The second goal was really beautiful because it was those two step overs and then just an absolute blast into blast the net. It. And it yeah. was that confident, strong, fast Lukaku that we saw, as you said, under Antonio Conte. Really beautiful performance from him. I just, I, I like seeing a happy Lukaku. I really do. Yeah. I like him as a bloke. He's a great player to watch on his day and i just think whatever you have to do to keep him happy just do it because you've got one of the best strikers in europe on his day and if you can Mm -hmm. keep him there like and he just i thought i really really enjoyed that uh, performance and seeing him and lautaro enjoying their football again even for that brief 20 minute window whatever it was was really nice and i think for inter it's a bit of a spark of like okay let's build on this let's build on this let's keep that going they've got the Coppa italia this week against juve it's going to be a spicy one. One all. Lukaku's got that bit between his teeth and he's going to want to score yeah. against Juve. I think this is a partnership that Inter really need to build on. But elsewhere, I was really impressed with Bellanova. I think he did really well at right uh, wing back. Um, a player who hasn't got many opportunities this season, but was brought in from Cagliari, I want to say. Or Genoa. Yes. I can never remember which Calgary. one. Calgari, yeah, yeah, right? Calgary. Brought Calgari, really exciting young player. Good to see him get us a stretch of the legs. And I thought he did really well. Brozovic was back to his best. Um... And the back three for Rota for Inter again, it's a bit of a chopping change, but Acerbi, mm. Devry and D'Ambrosio, they didn't have much to do, but I think what they did, they did well, and it was solid, just a yeah. nice, solid performance. So, yeah, lots of pluses there from uh, Inter as they ran out three nil winners. Empoli is not mm. an easy place to go, so a very, very big win for them. Elsewhere in Italy, in Serie A, should we talk 
Torino beating Lazio. Yeah. Bulls on parade. Unbelievable performance. Nobody saw this coming. We said, no. well, I said that Lazio, they keep clean sheets for days. Torino aren't particularly exciting. So, of course, Torino win. What did you make of this win? And it classic lapse in concentration from Lazio. Are they back to their old tricks? No, I think they were just unlucky on the day. They'd gone, obviously, eight matches unbeaten prior to this game. And, um, yeah, maybe you could argue Providal should keep the shot out because it's a shot from distance from Ilicic, who ironically comes from Hellas Verona after that season that he's had so far and shoots that beauty. But to be fair, like Torino had other opportunities in this match, um, just unlucky at times. And that's typical Juric. She kind of gets these kind of performances. Um, on Lazio, I feel like they were just lacking that kind of cutting edge. Um, Zakani came a bit unlucky at times. So did Immobile, who was a surprise to see actually come on, to be fair, given that he had that car accident the previous yeah, weekend yeah, yeah. as well. Straight back um, at it. Straight back at it. But yeah, it just feels like that's the inconsistent Lazio that we've known for the past three seasons, where they kind of dominate play but they don't really do too much and then they concede stupid goals and that's it basically and it's interesting because they go into obviously Wednesday night against Inter now if they lose that that confirms the title goes to Napoli so um, I don't think they're chasing this title let's put it that way they're just chasing second spot Um, and I think they're going to be comfortable but um, yeah it wouldn't surprise me if Sari decides just to lose it just to see his predecessors oh, winning a yeah. cheeky little exactly. yeah, a leaving gift. Why not? I like it. But we do, we have seven minutes, Adam. Do you reckon we can do it? We have a yes, full program this weekend. Now, Copper Italia. Start with the Copper Italia. There's only two games there. Wednesday night. I'm not going to be watching this one, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, Wednesday night, we have Inter taking on Juve. I might have to double screen it, although my eyes will not be moving from the other screen. Um, we have Inter taking on Juventus. One all as it stands. As we mm. said, Juve struggling. Inter may be kicking into life. How do you see this one going apart from, okay, how many red cards are they going to be? I'm going to say <laughs> at least two. I think... Yeah, there'll be at least one. Um, but mm-hmm. all I would say is it's good to see Lukaku isn't going to be suspended for this match. He's going to be playing, which good is... Good work, FIGC, for God's Eventually, got there in eventually the end. after three attempts, right? <laughs> He's got there in the end. Stupidly. But yeah, this could be an interesting matchup. Um, but I'm expecting Inzaghi to inspire this team to go to another final. I really do feel like it's on the cards for them to do it. And I hope for the sake of it, Quadrado gets sent off after diving. There you go. Yeah. I've said it. Yeah, that will uh, make Uncle Sharma very happy. Get him off the pitch. Yeah, I think um, Inter could win this 2-0 though. 2-0 I'm going for. I like it. I can see Inter getting through there as well. In the other semi-final, we do have, it's kind of almost done really. Fiorentina 2, Cremonese 0. It's going to be taking place in Florence on Thursday night at 9 o'clock. I might give that one, oh no, we're going to be recording probably. I might give that (laughs) one a bit of a watch. Um, But yeah, that one is pretty much done, I think. So all eyes should be on into Juve. Now in the Premier League, we have a full program. Mm. So tomorrow night or tonight, as you are listening, if you're listening, um, we have Wolves taking on Crystal Palace. Oof, that's a big one. Um, Aston Villa taking on Fulham and Mm. Leeds United taking on Leicester. Oof. Now that's the big game of the night. What do you think? Leeds United absolutely struggling now. The new manager bounce has definitely ended. Leicester, 
bit of a new manager bounce? How do you see this one going? I think if Leicester can build on that win against Wolves, then I suspect Leicester will go out and win this match as well. I, I think they've got it in them right now. They've got the mm-hmm. better quality out of the two, yeah. I feel. Like if you balance the teams out, Leeds are really poor at the moment. The momentum is just not right. They don't mm-hmm. seem to be clicking at the moment. Whatever Garcia has kind of instilled into this team, it doesn't feel like they are doing the things that they used to do, which was you know, attack teams, you know, although they weren't defensively the best, they would attack teams. They've just completely missed that in the last few games. Um, they conceded a hell of a lot of goals. They Even I know against Fulham, it was only 2-1, but still, um, we're talking, what, 15? 15 goals it must be in those yeah, three They've games? conceded 62 goals this season. <laughs> the only team that's conceded more is Bournemouth on 63. Like, if you look at everyone else... a 9-0 against Liverpool, yeah, Exactly, exactly. So, let's say it's 52, really, or... Uh, no, 50... Oh, God, my maths is terrible, 54. <laughs> um... You're looking at Leicester 56, Everton 46, if you know what I mean. Like, Jesus Christ, Leeds. Yeah, I can see Leicester getting a bit of momentum there and Leeds getting dragged even more into trouble. On Wednesday night, now we've talked Arsenal City, we're not going to talk it again, uh, but we've got Nottingham Forest taking on Brighton. That's a tricky one Mm. for Forest. I think Brighton should be able to put the FA Cup behind them for that one. Chelsea against Brentford, which is an intriguing one. And West Ham, Liverpool. Now, I always like this as a fixture, West Ham, Liverpool. Um, West Ham, huge run of form now at the minute. Really mm-hmm. seem to be kicking on. That salvage draw against Arsenal seems to have rescued their season a little bit. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, they, they're flying in the Conference League. Obviously, battered Bournemouth. Can you see them getting a result um, against Liverpool at home? I can kind of see it. I can see it happening. Um, I could see it being a draw, though, equally. Mm. I I suspect it might go the way of a draw because Liverpool will be wanting these points. Um, They've got a fairly fit squad. Um, I think Diego Jota is coming back to form at the right time at the moment. He scored, obviously, against Forest. Um, Seems to be pulling a lot of the kind of play in terms of how the build-up was going about their game as well. So, yeah, you, you always have to be wary about this Liverpool squad. Um, but yeah, West Ham could put a bit of fight in this game. So it's, yeah, draw draw for me. I think a draw seems fair, but I'm still going to back a West Ham win. I'm going to say West Ham nick it. Um, then we have Man City Arsenal. Christ alive. Yeah. I'm, like Obviously, my heart is already kind of... Jitters, yeah. It's just ah, horrible. Nice. Um, Then (laughs) Thursday night, that's all I'm going to say on it. Thursday night, we have Southampton versus Bournemouth. Bournemouth fixtures at the minute, they're all absolutely huge. They're only playing teams around them. Have Arsenal done done another team a favour? And will they have given Southampton a bit of belief to get a result here? It does feel like that. It does feel like that. And don't get me wrong, I've not felt like this Ruben Seles squad uh, squad have been terrible, you know, under his guidance. They've been doing really well. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe it's just a bit too short. I don't know. But yeah, certainly a lot more confidence going into it. If Forest lose, then that gives them a hell of a hope. I feel if they get a result, even if it's a draw out of this, I think that's enough to give them a bit more confidence going into the remaining games. But yeah, they probably will want to win this just to keep themselves up. I do have to say, Seles seems like a really bold coach. I like his mm. ideas. The fact that he took Alcaraz off at half time and was like, no, I know what I'm doing. Just not many interim managers do that. I was really impressed and it worked. I think he could be quite an exciting manager. Yeah. Um, Then we have Everton against Newcastle. 
Newcastle will win that. And then Spurs against Mad United. Now, Spurs' fixtures are absolutely horrible at the minute. Um, do you think United are going to get a win there? I think United yes. will win, to be honest. Yes, e- easy three points. I'm, I'm yeah. afraid to say Brian Mason doesn't stand a chance, I'm afraid. Damn. On that note, guys, I, I hate Tottenham United because I just wish they could both lose. But on that <laughs> note, um, we're going to bid you um, adieu, uh, Arrivederci, and we will see you yes. on Friday. I think we have a one an episode on Friday, yes? We're yeah. aiming to, yeah. We're, we're aiming, aiming to. to. Episode on Friday. They're more official. There will be an episode on Friday. We will see you there. <laughs> I will either be full of the joy of spring or you might see just my feet dangling from the top of this screen <laughs> um, depending on how the result goes but you will know um guys as always thank you for following us thanks for watching thanks for listening it's been the anglo-italian pod follow us on twitter at italian anglo pod on instagram at anglo italian pod hit the like and subscribe button down here right now and tell your friends and on your app now just scroll down or find it give us a five star rating five star why not yeah and leave a little comment what did you enjoy what did you not like you can leave questions on spotify as well i think get involved guys get involved tell a friend and we will see you on friday anything to say adam before we go no delightful as ever and we'll see you guys on friday ciao 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 Podcast Network.